0: Hello and welcome to the Language Revolution podcast. My name is Kate Hamilton. I'm a languages teacher and founder of Babel Babies. The aim of this podcast is to get people talking about talking, so without further ado, let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about the G word, grammar. It's a bit of a Marmite subject. People seem to love it or hate it, and for some, it is even a trigger word. When I mention that I like linguistics, People can get a bit defensive and ask if I'm going to correct their apostrophes. There is, it seems to me, a conflation of linguistics with the naming of parts and subjects, verbs and objects. Grammar can be a real bone of contention in education too and even cause ripples in politics. To untangle the issue of grammar teaching in school, I'm delighted to be able to talk to Ian Cushing from Brunel University in London, where he is a lecturer in education, previously teaching fellow in English linguistics at UCL and leads the English PGCE programme. He has research interests concerning language policy in schools, grammar in schools, and teachers knowledge about language. Hello Ian, thank you for joining me.
1: Hello, Kate. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm very, very happy to be here.
0: So, Ian, when I was at school, which was in the 80s and 90s, we didn't really learn much about English grammar, or at least not explicitly. What I knew about how words behave mostly came from French or German lessons. Yet, my children, who are under 10 now, they're learning about subordinate clauses and fronted adverbials in primary school. So where are we right now in grammar education and how have we got here?
1: OK, well, that's a, that's a big question to ask, I think, where we are now in, in grammar education. And um, I suppose I think, that I think the first thing to note, really, and I think this will help to frame all of the discussion that, that we have on this podcast, um, is that it's really important, I think, to problematise right from the beginning what, what we mean by the word grammar. Um, so I think that for, for many teachers and for many students, that word grammar will indeed conjure up certain ideas uh, and certain images and certain words um, largely to do with rules and notions of uh, correctness, perhaps even bits of grammatical terminology, like you say, uh, subordinate clauses or, or fronted adverbials. Um, but I think what's important for me is that that's just one view of grammar. That's just one definition and understanding of the word uh, grammar. Whereas in reality, there's many different versions and many different understandings of what we mean by that word grammar. So grammar can indeed indicate subordinate clauses, adverbials, preposition phrases, standard English, etc. But, but that's just one view. And actually, that's a fairly restricted, fairly narrow view of what grammar is and what the study of grammar can be in schools. So there's various different theories and frameworks and approaches in relation to grammar that linguists work with. And each of those theories and frameworks come with their own set of ideas, their own set of terms, their own set of goals, uh, their own set of beliefs about what the study of language can and ought to be. So the kind of grammar that that you mentioned just then, the idea about subclauses and adverbials and rules and correctness, that's typically, and this is a little bit of a crude distinction, but that's typically um, associated with and related to what we call clause level grammar or sentence level grammar, where the kind of pedagogies and the kind of work that you might do with that Um, area of grammar is indeed about identifying small bits of language, whether it be an adverbial or a subclause or whatever. It's about trying to impose notions of grammatical correctness and so called rules Um, it's about um, It's what we call a fairly prescriptive uh, view of grammar or it can be. Okay, so it's a that's just one part of language study and that's indeed the the kind of language study that, that tends to dominate in schools now, but also throughout history and on the other side of the coin. And again, this is a this is a little bit of a simplified and, and, and crude distinction. We have what's called discourse level grammar and discourse level grammar um, is less concerned with the kind of small bits of language in terms of subclauses, noun phrases, etc. And it's much more concerned with notions of descriptive grammar. So we're interested in not just simply identifying and labeling bits of language or or telling people um, how to speak etc but we're interested in in linguistic description, we're interested in meaning, in interaction uh, and how linguistic patterns contribute and shape meaning. And then wrapped up in all of this which is really what I'm particularly interested in in my own work in relation to schools is the kind of ideologies about grammar so the sets of ideas that grammar conjures up for different people the politics of language uh, certain world views about language uh, how language ought to be etc and then of course we have the difference between spoken and written grammar and they're wildly different things and Often in schools, um, spoken and written grammar can be things that get conflated, whereas we, we know from, from hundreds of years of study in linguistics that spoken and written codes have very, very different grammatical systems, so it's not that one simply maps on to the other. So. That's a kind of that's a, that's my attempt to, to frame um, this notion of grammar, because I think that I, the idea of what grammar is and what it can be and also what it isn't is really important in thinking about grammar in relation to schools. So so schools at the moment, and and I'm talking really from from a UK perspective, and and specifically uh, schools in England. Uh, That's that's certainly where where most of my research interests uh, are localised. So schools at the moment, and and indeed throughout history, by and large adopt quite a clause level approach with a fairly strong emphasis on, on written grammar as opposed to spoken grammar. But this is really nothing new. So if we do a kind of archaeological dig, I suppose, into grammar in schools, then if we go back um, in time, then what we find is a fairly cyclical story. So some of the debates and some of the arguments, etc., about grammar in schools that, um, that, are, that are happening at the moment, if we go back to tests and curricula and, 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 and grammar in schools in the 1950s, for example, and even before that, uh, there's remarkable similarities with what's happening now in terms of grammar in schools okay so at the moment there's there's um schools in England um, are working with a with a national curriculum that came into place in 2014 and um and really that 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 curriculum was notable in in various things, but one of the things that it was particularly notable for was a real um reemphasis on notions of correct grammar and standard English. So notice not just an emphasis, but a re-emphasis. So it's almost a a kind of nostalgic return to a lot of the ideas about grammar, which have been in circulation for for many, many years really. Um, And this has meant that notions of correct grammar, notions of quite clause level grammar and standard English have become fairly prevalent in schools at the moment. So, So in my work at the moment, for example, I'm looking at some of the policies and some of the pedagogies which are underpinned by this re emphasis um, and what I'm finding is that there's a fair, there's a fairly wide cluster uh, of different policy mechanisms which are together working to um, Reinforce some of these ideas about clause level often quite prescriptive views about grammar in schools
0: so if we're taking quite a kind of clause level or prescriptive approach, is that not a bit of a problem if teachers who like might be my age haven't had training in English grammar and then they're teaching it at primary level in this level of detail
1: yeah I think it, it, I think it's a real problem and um, and I think indeed that that's that the, the issues of teacher knowledge in linguistics and teacher knowledge about grammar uh, are often um, a really important part of part of why we get these cyclical debates about grammar and I think it's important not to be overly critical of teachers here at all and if we think about the current curriculum for example with this re-emphasis on grammar a lot of the anxieties surrounding grammar and a lot of the reasons why we get some I would say quite problematic policies in relation to language in schools tend to uh, tend to surface because often teachers don't feel particularly confident in their own knowledge about language and i think knowledge about language is is a really really useful phrase for teachers to think about rather than just knowledge about grammar so yes you're absolutely right in the sense that, that that teachers themselves often don't have an explicit knowledge of grammar and that's because um for a lot of teachers A who won't have specialist backgrounds in linguistics, but also there's generally a lack of uh, language awareness and knowledge about language in a lot of teacher education programs. So it's no surprise, really, that a lot of teachers feel quite anxious and a little bit nervous about teaching grammar. And of course, a lot of teachers are simply responding to some of the pressures um, that are placed on them by their schools and by policies and by curricula and by tests. So, for example, in primary schools, um, you probably know, if you mentioned that you've got your, uh, your your children who are 10 and 11. Or one thing that they're potentially doing then is working towards those end of primary school SATs. And one of those tests uh, is about grammar, punctuation and spelling. And those tests, for a lot of students and parents and um, and teachers, can be seen as quite high stakes and quite pressurised tests. So a lot of the teaching about grammar tends to be warped and dominated by what those tests demand. And because the tests place an emphasis on clause level grammar, on prescriptive grammar, on notions of rules, correctness, simply identifying little chunks of grammar uh, in sentences, identifying word classes, etc. A lot of the pedagogies that tend to happen in schools are in response to those tests okay and i think it's important here as well that it's important not to generalize there's there's obviously schools where there's really good and meaningful pedagogies uh, happening about grammar but for a lot of schools and teachers those grammar pedagogies are in response to some of the pressures that teachers feel as a result of a huge change in curriculum in terms of grammar but also in terms of the power um of those tests in terms of grammar
0: what about english secondary teachers what do they think about grammar so i had to teach quite a lot of it in one school and i found that i was learning it myself first which i quite enjoyed but not everyone likes teaching grammar i mean is it fair to say the old-fashioned way
1: so yeah so secondary school certainly opens up um a few more possibilities i think in terms of grammar Especially if we think beyond some of those narrow confines of clause level grammar and arguably prescriptive grammar that's quite representative of, of a lot of the policies at primary school curriculum and on the primary school grammar tests. So teachers at secondary school might have more opportunities for doing some more discourse level grammar work, where they're looking at language in relation to meaning and context and patterns and choices, etc. However, the secondary curriculum, I would argue, still has quite limited opportunities for doing any meaningful language work in terms of looking at language study the kind of language work that we might see at a level language for example so there's very limited opportunity for secondary school teachers to do work on things like language attitudes or linguistic variation or to look at things like accents and dialects or language change or the history of english there's very limited limited opportunities for secondary school teachers to do work on things like language ideologies and notions of standardized and non-standardized idi- Because the way that the curriculum changed in 2014, where things like spoken language were really marginalised and a lot of those opportunities for teachers to do that work were were removed from the curriculum. um, Teachers have to find their own space a little bit more at secondary school in order uh, to enact any of that meaningful language work that I just talked about.
0: What are teachers' attitudes towards grammar teaching then in primary and secondary?
1: Okay, so I think there's a lot of variation in teachers' attitudes towards grammar teaching, and um, I think those attitudes stem from some of the various routes that teachers might take into their careers, um, whether or not they've had explicit training in language, for example. Would obviously have a have a huge influence over uh, their own attitudes towards language and their own no- and their own knowledge about language. Certainly, what I've found in, in my work is that. We all know that teachers are hugely busy people who who are under a lot of pressure to adhere to some of those standards and the curriculum. And because um, some of the attitudes about language that that are explicit in tests and in the curriculum and in some of the guidance for teachers, I think what can happen is that sometimes those quite prescriptive ideas about language can get reproduced by teachers Uh, in their classroom through things like policies, but also through things um, like pedagogies. So teachers undoubtedly work within a system of of compliance and control to a degree where they must respond to to a series of quite high stakes tests and curricula, etc. in terms of their own accountability measures. But at the same time that they undoubtedly have an awful lot of agency and an awful lot of autonomy so if we can work with teachers in developing more sensitive more critical attitudes towards grammar and language in schools i think as linguists we can create spaces where teachers are given opportunities to enact some more critical some more politically engaged ideas about teaching language, things like critical literacies, critical language awareness, for example, become a totally appropriate way of interpreting what is arguably quite a problematic curriculum in terms of language.
0: Ian, if you Google a grammatical term, you can end up feeling a bit lost in conflicting explanations for the same thing. So I wonder why is grammar so hard to understand? And is it not just a simple set of rules that we need to memorise?
1: yeah so I think this goes back a little bit to what I was talking about earlier with these, this idea that there's various theories and various different frameworks when we think about grammar so it's I think it's I think we need to be careful in, in over um, over generalizing what, what when we talk about that word grammar um, so different theories and different frameworks with grammar will all come work all come with different uh, explanations for the same thing and um, that are motivated by different goals for example and those different theories and frameworks will often come with different sets of terms or different sets of uh, what's called meta language so language about language so on the one hand we have quite fairly traditional theories and frameworks about grammar and um, that are kind of based on a Latinate model of how language works and that traditional framework of grammar is has always been the kind of dominant view and framework of language in schools over time but also in the moment uh, also at the moment especially in in, in the current curriculum Where, whereas there's always alternatives so we so, so we can present teachers and work with teachers in presenting them with alternative frameworks about grammar that are much more uh, aligned with notions of meaning um, descriptive linguistics for example and I think that question that, that you asked, isn't isn't grammar just a simple set of rules that we need to memorize? Well, again, I would problematize that word rules because so-called grammar rules are simply an attempt by people to impose some kind of standards and some kind of constraints on a language, and we know that language is a bit messy, okay, it doesn't really always conform to these so-called invented rules, and those rules are often invented in fairly arbitrary ways uh, that are inscribed in grammar books, and those rules are often based on the written form of a language rather than trying to capture speech. So in language study we try and avoid this idea of a rule, and indeed the word rule, and we try instead to talk about uh, language in terms of patterns or conventions, rather than
0: strictly define rules as such. Great. I think that um, is really helpful to think about conventions and patterns. I can see that my children, you know, they're great at spotting patterns. They love to, to know how things might work and sort of take it apart, a bit like engineers, I suppose. But like you say, it's about how do you apply it and what are the conventions for usage more than this is the fixed rule. It's an interesting, interesting thing to think about. Is there anywhere teachers can go to find these reliable explanations of, parts of grammar they might not understand or might not feel confident about their own understanding? Yeah,
1: I think, I I think increasingly, uh, there's a lot of resources out there, uh, a lot of really good resources for teachers. And I think a lot of these resources have been developed in response to the re-emphasis on grammar uh, on the national curriculum, and uh, and a response to to the fact that a lot of, that not a lot of teachers uh, perhaps feel quite comfortable uh, or confident in in their own knowledge about language, so um, one of the one of the um, the places that I would certainly recommend teachers to go to is. Uh, Deborah Myhill's work at Exeter University, for example, Mm -hmm. who's developed a, a grammar for writing pedagogy which includes lots of helpful explanations about different grammatical concepts, but crucially how teachers can apply those concepts into their teaching in really meaningful and really enabling ways that avoid some of the narrow confines of clause level prescriptive grammar work that tends to underpin uh, the curriculum and the primary school grammar tests. So so Debbie Myhill's work at Exeter um, is really, really useful for teachers. Also a project that I used to work on um, at UCL was the Teaching Grammar in Schools project Uh, and that has a number of different outputs including uh, a website for teachers called Inglicious which includes various lesson plans and ideas for the teaching of grammar but also a really helpful uh, glossary for grammatical terms Um, and some of those those terms um, are borrowed from different grammatical frameworks but it also includes the terms that that, that are are found within the national curriculum. Both those projects, the one at ECL and the one at Exeter, are really worth looking at for teachers. For a start, they're written by linguists and by experts in in language study and and experts in grammar, but they're also written by people who used to work in schools and continue to do uh, really good work with teachers as well. So a really nice link between schools and higher education and a really good example of what can happen when linguists work together with teachers uh, in developing useful uh, sets of resources and materials for their teaching
0: that sounds brilliant thank you I'll make sure I link to those projects in the blog that comes with the podcast so people can find them easily so I used to love teaching children about how the apostrophe came into existence um, and also how English had cases like we do in German and that actually you know, you could argue that the apostrophe in the possessive is just replacing the e from the genitive possessive, like Edward's hat in Middle English. And now we say Edward's hat with apostrophe s, but there used to be an e there. And it's also fun to look at the spelling as well. So how you have German endings on some English words, like eight is from acht in German, or light is Licht. And actually, like going back to the idea of patterns, there really is a pattern, isn't there, once you learn a little bit about our language's history. So I'm wondering, is it useful to have a bit of linguistics history? Does that help us understand not some of English's stranger spelling and grammar customs, Ian?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and this, is, this is where I think having some really good explicit knowledge about grammar can be so useful um so actually, some clause level grammar, grammatical knowledge can be really useful okay sometimes it's really useful to to know the names of those different parts as such in order to see those relations between uh, different languages for example so so um so clause level grammar does have its uses absolutely, but as a thing in itself it's a li- it, it, it can become a little bit limited but a wider knowledge of linguistics and a wider knowledge of language especially in 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 historical knowledge about language and knowledge of the histories of languages is, is an incredibly useful thing for, uh, for young for young students to know about so knowing about linguistics helps us to see for example that the English isn't a self-contained language which bears no relation to other languages there's connections and contact points and relationships between languages um, and that's really important when we start to think a bit more critically, for example, about how and why English became such a major world language. It's really important when students are learning about different languages and the relationships between different spelling systems, different sound systems, different grammatical systems, for example. But I'd also argue that that knowledge of the histories of a language will enable pupils to become much more critical and engage with some of the ideas about language which are in circulation. So, for example, if you're a student in a school who is consistently being told that they must speak in a certain way, then potentially you then have the critical skills to be able to unpick some of those arguments and have a really good discussion discussion about some of those ideas about language
0: thank you what about at secondary school level does having some explicit sort of clause level grammatical knowledge come in handy at a level or gcse and how do we teach grammar from key stage three and above
1: so, I think some knowledge of clause level grammar is certainly useful, um, but it's only useful in terms of being able to identify and label different grammatical features. Okay, and that in itself is, is not a bad piece of knowledge to have, but there's absolutely, there's absolutely no research that suggests that explicit knowledge of grammatical terms equates with improved writing. Okay, and often the aims of of English teaching in secondary school are to improve both academic or analytical writing. So there's no link between explicit knowledge of grammatical terms and improved writing. But what there is quite a lot of research about and I'm talking really here about um, about the work of Exeter and Debbie Myhill, the work that I mentioned earlier, and that work is really underpinned by um, a view of the importance of what's called teaching grammar in context. And so what teaching grammar in context means is that any discussions about language and about grammar, whether it be clause level or discourse level grammar. Happen in the context of what children are doing with their writing and what they're doing with their language, rather than treating grammar as this kind of weird body of separate knowledge that is learned for its own sake. So contextualised grammar um, very broadly, but again, specifically the work that's going on at Exeter and in various other places, promotes this idea that it's not about grammar as rules, but it's about grammar as choice and grammar as patterns and conventions. So we kind of move away from that idea about rules and correctness. So instead, trying to focus on how language works and how different language choices construct meanings. In different contexts and the use of grammatical terminology may well be a part of those conversations the use of grammatical terminology is certainly useful as a very efficient and quite economic way of labeling different bits of language in the same way that any other body of terminology is but the fundamental focus of the pedagogy is on the writing and on what's happening with language rather than a particular grammatical feature or on uh, pieces of grammatical terminology itself. So so students' attention is drawn not to the simple labelling or the identification of different grammatical features or the use of different grammatical terms, but their attention is drawn towards notions of linguistic choices and linguistic possibilities which are available to children as writers, which really has notions of creativity, meaning uh, and choice underpin everything they do in language work
0: I love that and I harking back to what Michael Rosen said language is always language in use isn't it so um, and David Crystal as well he said what do you actually want to do with this language where are you driving the car to you know it's not no good just knowing what the steering wheel and pedals are called you need to know how they all work together to get you to where you want to go so I think that's a really helpful way of looking at it So, Ian, if there's no research that shows students writing improves if they know some grammatical meta language, does it help them to use better English if they know this meta linguistic knowledge?
1: Uh, Interesting question. So, what do you mean by better English then, Kate?
0: Well, I mean, people say correct or incorrect grammar might, you know, improve your English. You've got, you know, you want your students to achieve a certain standard of English, right?
1: Um, So, this is a really um, this is a huge question and um, and a kind of uh, a sticking point i think uh, certainly in schools and one that always causes some really interesting um, debate or sometimes arguments um, I think it 's really important to put um, <clears throat> again to problematize any kind of adjectives that come before a word like language or grammar or English, so when you Uh, say something like better English or correct or incorrect grammar or proper English or uh, articulate speech for example then my response to that would be really well who gets to decide what's better or what's proper or what's articulate or what's correct or good etc and if teachers are listening to this they might be thinking well okay sure I get that but I still have a have a have a a responsibility, and indeed a legal responsibility according to the curriculum to teach students um, so-called correct grammar. And what we're starting to now think about is we're starting to think about notions of what's called standard English and non-standard English. And it often is the case that standard English, so that's just a particular version of the language, often um, gets used as a proxy for correct or good or better English. So in order to really start to think about better English and good English, etc, we really have to get to grips with the politics of language. And I think doing that requires thinking quite a lot in detail about issues of power and control and authority in language and beginning to answer that question of, well, who is it that gets to decide what counts as good language and what counts as better English or proper English, for example.
0: Thank you. And just to be clear, I'm being devil's advocate by calling it best <laughs> English because I, I do agree with you that grammar is a way of describing how people are using language and they want to create meaning in a context and for a purpose. It's not just got its own fixed kind of inherent purpose, I guess. Grammar is a description rather of what we do, I think, more than just being a set of fixed parameters or rules. So Um, Shall we round up part one of our chat here because we're going to invite listeners to join in the conversation on Twitter. So teachers, what are your experiences of teaching grammar? And students, does knowing some of this metalinguistic terminology make you more comfortable with understanding and using language? Let's have a chat on Twitter and then we're going to come back and talk a bit more about this notion of correct or standard language in part two. Thanks, Ian. It's been lovely to chat to you and I shall look forward to speaking some more in part two.
1: Great. Thank you, Kate.